It's good to be with you. Uh, I'm glad. My name is Ben. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. It's my privilege to open God's Word with you. And we're in a series looking at um, the parables of Jesus, the stories that Jesus told. And we've been talking about how they, uh, while many are so familiar to us, each holds hidden treasures. And we've kind of been praying for new ears to hear these stories afresh, new eyes to see things in these familiar parables uh, that would help us to follow Jesus more wholeheartedly, to see Jesus again, maybe afresh. And so, um, let's turn. We're going to be in Matthew 13, and while you guys turn there, if you have your Bibles open, I'll just say by means of introduction that we've said that parables are a way of Jesus sifting out who's listening and who's not. Um, Parables force you to participate in what the storyteller is saying. And people who are open to God, open-minded, have an open heart, they will listen and engage and think further. And what's clear with the parables is that that kind of attentiveness is necessary um, to see God's work and to hear God truly. God's truth, God's work, God's person can often be uh, overlooked. You sometimes have to squint to see it. You have to listen hard to get it. And so Jesus often ends these parables by saying, if you have ears, you should hear. Well, today I want to say, if you have eyes, do you have eyes? You should see. Where might God be at work in your life in hidden ways? Unseen ways. We often miss God because we look for him in all the wrong places. The parable today is from Matthew 13, beginning in verse 31. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. That a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Jesus, by your spirit, would you just kind of walk in here? 
and heal our spiritual blindness and open our deaf ears so that we can see you afresh, hear from you today. This is my prayer. In Christ's name, amen. So Jesus begins. He tells another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. What would you say? How would you? Okay, let's say you didn't know Jesus' words. What would you say the kingdom of heaven is like? The kingdom of heaven is like a tower. The kingdom of heaven is like WrestleMania. The kingdom, and Isaac's like, that is what I would say. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is like an army. The kingdom of heaven is like a beautiful flower. Jesus finishes the sentence. The kingdom of heaven is like one grain of mustard seed. It is the smallest of all seeds. A seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Man, Jesus and seeds. He's a good farmer. You know, that's how the song should go, you know. It's a particular kind of seed. And what's his emphasis on the mustard seed? What is it? Why? What's he point out about the mustard seed? It's small. It's the smallest of all seeds. He said, I actually brought a, I brought a mustard seed with me. Do you want to see it? I want to put it on the, my finger. You see it? There's nothing there because I couldn't find one, but it's like that small. If it was up here, you wouldn't be able to see it. That's how small the mustard seed is. It's infinitesimally small. Not the smallest of all seeds in the world, botanical nerds. He gets it. He's just telling a story. It's a very small seed, very small. Small things are hard to see. They are easy to overlook. We notice big things, those things that are easy to spot. Small things, you have to be really attentive to see them. You have to be on the lookout to see the mustard seed. And there's a contrast between where the seed is and what it becomes. Because it becomes this large tree in which all of the birds of the air make their nests. Now I found an actual picture. Ooh, look at that. It is a mustard bush. Which is, you know, it's not an oak tree, but it's the biggest thing that you may have in your garden, and it comes from this very, very small seed, a tree bush sprawling, small, a sprawling tree. The kingdom of God is like that, a seed that you can hardly hold in your finger, 
but it grows. Almost imperceptible, but over time it becomes something that dominates your garden and becomes a habitat for all kinds of creatures. Do you have ears? Do you have eyes? Jesus continues with another story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, I'm not a baker. I confess my ignorance. But when I preach on stuff I don't know, I look it up on the old Wikipedia. And what I found out, and I didn't know this, maybe some of you do, yeast is a fungus. Did you know this? And everybody's like, yes, we knew this without having to look it up. It is a fungus that causes things to ferment and rot. And for millennia, people have been using this fungus to brew beer and to make bread And uh, I don't know who the first person was who said, let's put fungus in our food, but we're glad that they did. And somebody did, and they put this yeast in the bread, and it causes it to rise and grow and expand. I'm going to tell this story. So there was somebody on staff today. We always talk about what we're going to preach on. And some staff member, I won't say who it was, in college was taking the keg from the party back to the keg place and spilt beer in the back of their car. And so they're like, what should I do to clean up all of the beer in the back seat of the car? And their bright idea was, well, let's just use flour. And so they dumped flour in the back of the car, which, and left it overnight. And then came back, so hot, it's summer, came back the next day, and guess what happened? Bread. (laughs) Beer bread. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't tell you who it was. Markelson. And so people made bread in the the ancient Near East, and where did they get their yeast? They didn't get it at the store. What they would often do, and some people still do this today, you would take a piece of the bread that you've already made of the dough, and you would keep a little bit of it, and then you would stick it, this, this yeast, into a big lump of dough. And the amount of dough that Jesus is saying that this little piece of fermented dough goes into is humorously large. He says three measures of flour. And we're like, I don't know what a measure is. And then you think, oh, fun. It is finally my opportunity to use the table of weights and measures at the back of the Bible. And then you get giddy and you turn there because you're like, I love using this page in the back of my Bible, it's the, t- it's the table of weights and measures, and you find out that it is 60 pounds of dough. And so everybody then would have be, been like laughing, like, oh, that's a lot of dough. <laughs> that's a lot of dough. That's 50 loaves of bread. That could feed a whole village. 
a little lump of leaven, this little change agent is introduced into this huge lump of dough and it works through the entire thing and changes it and makes it a source of life for a whole village. Do you have ears? And the language that Jesus uses is very important. He wants to bring out a key aspect of the leaven. Notice what the woman does. What does she do? What's the verb? She hides it. Now that's, that, he used that word on purpose. Because we don't think of hiding it. He hid it. The word there in Greek is crypto. To hide or to conceal. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like yeast that causes this huge growth, but it's hidden. You don't always see it at work. It accomplishes so much, it eventually works its way through everything, but it's hidden. It's hard to see. Think about it. And so we hear the stories and, you know, I don't think you need a pastor. I think we kind of get it. God's way of working in our lives and in our world is not always obvious. Sometimes it's hard to miss. Small, hidden, easy to overlook. But eventually, it becomes something great. So why does Jesus tell this story in this particular instance? Well, I think certainly to shatter our assumptions about how God works in our life and in the world. When we think of how God will show up in our lives, we tend to desire the big show, the lightning flash appearance of God. We want angels and we want trumpets. And I don't blame you. And someday we'll all get it. We, but we tend to think if God really cared about me or cared about the world, he would show up in a big way. I'd be able to see it. It would be obvious. It would be big and famous and fast. And Jesus says, if that's your only concept of how God works in your life, you're going to miss so much of what he's up to in your life and in the world because so many of the things that he's doing are small and hidden. He's got a mustard seed style of working in the world. And this would have shattered the expectations of his contemporaries. He's saying that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, they were familiar with the kingdom of God. That wasn't a new concept to them. It was actually the source of their greatest hope. But they had certain expectations about what it would look like when the kingdom came. If the king was going to show up, he was going to look a certain way and come from places of prominence. And he was going to kick the rear ends of the Romans and he was going to kick them out and he was going to restore all things. 
And so what do they think when they see a carpenter healing and hanging out with poor folks? What do they do when they see the cross? They thought that God's kingdom would be impossible to miss. But God's king and kingdom are present in their midst and they're missing it. And Jesus is saying the kingdom is here, it's in me. It's like I'm I'm like a mustard seed. He's trying to open their eyes first to recognize him. Jesus had insignificant and small beginnings. Where did he grow up? Anybody? Class? Where did he grow up? Nazareth. 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 Now, where is Nazareth? Yeah, nobody knows where Nazareth is. We've got to pull out. We've got to go back to the maps. It's a small, podunk, hill country town. Archaeologists believe that at most 400 people live there. That's 15 to 20 families in a village, in a no-name town. And this is where the Messiah came from, who's going to rescue the world. Nazareth. They actually make fun of him because he's from Nazareth. Nathaniel, do you remember when Nathaniel is called to follow him? What's the first thing he says? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from such humble, ordinary beginnings? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And even people from Nazareth couldn't see Jesus for who he was. So right after he tells these parables, the very next story in this chapter, in verse 53 of Matthew 13, this is what it says. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, so Nazareth, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not he the carpenter's son? Don't we know his mom? Don't we know his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't his sisters with us? Where did this man get these things? And they took offense at him. And he said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. The parable and the story, they go together. People didn't like him from because he was from Nazareth. And then he goes to Nazareth and they don't like him because they know his mom. And they went to high school with him. You know, I didn't know. You know, I've seen you do stuff. You're not very fast. I beat you in track, Jesus. How can you be the Messiah? They couldn't believe that the kingdom of God could emerge from these ordinary places. They lacked the imagination and the open-mindedness to believe that when God shows up, he might work with something very ordinary. Right in the midst of their natural lives. 
They were missing Jesus. And they were confused by his kingdom message, not only because of who he was, but because of who he surrounded himself with. And so in chapter 4 of Matthew, Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom and he's gathering together the nucleus of people who's going to be the change agent that he's going to send into Israel. They are going to be like the, the leaven lump that he's going to send into Israel to leaven the dough. And who does he gather? And where does he go? Does he go to Jerusalem to find the best theologians and priests? Or does he go to Rome to get soldiers and captains? No, he goes to Holmes Lake. He goes to the Sea of Galilee and he gets a bunch of fishermen, Peter and Andrew, cast in their net. Not the poorest people, but not the richest. Not very educated. And they were his A-team. And it's not just the uneducated blue-collar folk. It's the disreputable folk. And so in chapter 9, Jesus walks to a man at a tax booth. And when you see a man at a tax booth, what do you say? Boo. These are bad dudes, tax collectors. And Jesus goes to him and says, follow me. And after that, he's at a dinner table with a whole bunch of tax collectors and sinners who eat with him, many who become his disciples. And people look in all the time, and what do they ask him? Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Now here's, here's what you're going to have to, here's what's going to blow your mind. Here's the moment in the sermon where you learn the thing about the parable that you didn't know before you walked in. It's the thing you're supposed to ponder with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or a Diet Coke or what, or what do you drink Mountain Dew? And you just walk around the block and you think about it for a long time. If you have your Bibles open, look at where these parables are placed. They're placed in between another parable and its explanation. What is the parable that is there? Somebody with their Bible open? What's the parable right before this? Not the sower, it's the other one. The weeds and the wheat. The weeds and the wheat. So there's the parable of the weeds and the wheat, and then there's the explanation of the weeds and the wheat, and then in the middle is these two parables. So in some ways they relate to the parable of the weeds and the wheat. And the parable of the weeds in the wheat is about how God allows both good and bad seeds to grow up together. And how you shouldn't judge and try to pull weeds because they look a lot alike and you never know which one is going to turn out to be wheat and which one's going to be a weed in the end. So likely the thing you thought was a weed is likely wheat and vice versa. So many people looking at the company that Jesus was keeping, and you know what they said? Weeds. You know what Jesus saw? 
seeds. So many mustard seeds. Small perhaps, initially undesirable, and that was the thing about a mustard seed. It was pretty invasive. If it got into your garden, it could grow and take over. It was kind of undesirable. But in Jesus' parable, the undesirable weed becomes a life-giving tree. And even leaven, leaven in most Jewish stories is a negative image. In almost every other story Jesus tells, leaven stands for either sin or the teaching of the Pharisees. But in this Parable In between the weeds and the wheat, the leaven, often a negative influence, becomes a life-giving thing. Why not liken the kingdom of God to a beautiful flower or to an acorn? Why use the weed? Why use the leaven? It's because Jesus chose to redeem these images. With these negative associations. The kingdom of heaven can turn weeds into wheat. In other words. The kingdom of God is hard to see. They didn't expect this no-name Messiah from this podunk town. With these no-name fishermen hanging out with people of ill repute to do anything. And Jesus doesn't change his strategy throughout his ministry. Because he ends up riding into Jerusalem triumphantly on a war horse. No, on a donkey. And he ends up on a cross with a sign over him that says, Here's your king. Small, weak, hidden. But what rises out of that moment when Jesus' life, his mustard seed life, is put into the ground and it dies, it grows, it bursts forth new life, resurrection life. And becomes a tree that's so big that all of the nations of the world find a home in it. Like the tree image, it's this image from Ezekiel where he talks about the birds of the air as so many people from the nations. And those fishermen and people of ill repute win out with the weak message of the gospel and they converted people so that now that little group, 12 little people, mostly outcasts, proclaiming the message of a dead Messiah who was raised from the grave. They went out into the world with that message and now there's people 2,000 years later from Lincoln, Nebraska, and India, Japan, Mexico, and Congo, in Portland, and South Africa, and Alaska, and we're all worshiping the same God. That's big. 
The death of an insignificant man at the hands of a Roman governor, like a seed thrown into a ground, and it miraculously brings forth new life to this frightened community. These outcasts, these fishermen, they become apostles and saints. Just look how it's grown. And so Jesus is telling these parables and he's trying to wake the people up to this thing that's going on in him because they don't want them to miss out. To miss out on the opportunity to participate in this. To become sowers themselves of the mustard seed kingdom. Leaven of God's love. In a hurting world. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like yeast. It's like a perfect pearl. It's like one lost sheep. It's like one lost coin. It belongs to little children. It belongs to the small. People who are of no estimation to Jesus' contemporaries. He loves the lost. The mustard seed people. Even when there's 99 Decent people. (laughs) He runs after the one. He passionately cares for the socially unimportant. The people that the world tramples upon. He loves small beginnings. And he loves small people. He loves to work in hidden ways. And he loves to find hidden people. And to work in their lives in profound ways. Small doesn't mean insignificant. And small doesn't mean of no consequence. Indeed, the good news of Jesus Christ is the most consequential news bulletin in the history of the world. It is big and grand and glorious. But what I'm saying is what makes it big and grand and glorious is that it works with things that are small. Just look at what he did with a bunch of fishermen. Look at what they became. Look at what he did with a cross. Look what it became. And so he's trying to get us to see the world differently. To see our dead ends and even death itself as a portal to potential and growth and redemption. He's trying to get us to to see ordinary people and to see something interesting. Perhaps something hidden. He's trying to get us to look at things that we think are insignificant and to say, what's what's God up to there? It's an encouragement for us to see. And so some of us look at our eyes and we feel like God is nowhere to be found. And I just want to say, look again. Are there no mustard seed moments? Are you paying attention? Look behind the scenes at what you might not see. Sometimes, you know, I'm a pretty good prayer. Like, I pray regularly. And sometimes my kids interrupt me when I pray. And I'm looking for God. I'm seeking God's face. And my kid runs into the room and says, Dad! Somebody punched me. And I, you know what I usually say? Get away from me. I'm looking for God. 
don't you understand, small mustard seed person, that I am trying, I can't find God with you here. God wouldn't interact with me through the heart of a child. God wouldn't try to be working on me through this little human, leaven, weed person. But you better believe that that is the moment. And I could miss it. I send them away and I'm seeking God's face. And God went away with the heart of that child. Opening us to see the little God moments. Opening us to see worth in another person. That's what came across to me in the parables this week. It was seeing them in between the weeds and the weed and saying, oh, he's talking about people as much as he's talking about everybody else. Jesus just found the diamond in the rough. Consider his apostles. Again, teenage fishermen turned into apostolic martyrs. That's good leadership development. And you know, I've said this before, but what keeps me up at night is, why didn't anyone else see that in those men? All the other Pharisees looking for all the other rabbis looking for disciples. Why didn't they go up to Peter? They didn't see anything in Peter. They were like, Peter, you keep on fishing. And Jesus comes along and says, Peter, I don't know how to tell you this, but your future isn't in nets and fish. It's in men and in the kingdom of God. And Peter says, oh man, you see something in me. And when Peter even goes back to the nets, oh man, Jesus comes back to him and says, "Uh uh-uh. It's people, not fish. He keeps going back to him, calling out his destiny, seeing, I see something of value in you. I know you failed. I know you're weak. I know you're fragile. But I see something in you. And I was just reminded of my own story. The mustard seed ways in which God called me to himself. I'll tell you the short version. My brother gave me the U2 album, The Joshua Tree, and said, this is your new Bible. And I listened to it, and I fell in love with U2. Fast forward seven years later. I'm in Mojava Coffee House, and I meet a man. I overhear him talking about his love for U2 and the cure. We spark a friendship. He's a worship leader at a church called Grace Chapel. He invites me to come live with him. I come and live with him. He invites me to go to church with him. I say, no way, Jose. (laughs) He invites me to go to the bars. I say, that'd be all right. So we go to the bars on Saturday night. And on Saturday nights, he's constantly saying, you got to come to worship with me. And I say, no way, Jose. And he finally says, what if you played in the worship band? Because I played guitar. I was like, well, I like to play guitar, but don't you need to believe in Jesus to play in the worship band? He's like, nah, it's fine. (laughs) Get up there. So I start playing in the worship band on Sunday mornings, though I don't believe in Jesus. And uh, I was a smoker at the time, and so I would play the first worship set, and then when the guy got up to preach, I'd go out and I'd smoke my cigarettes out front. And then uh, there were, there was about, you know, there was 30 some people at the church at the time, and uh, some of the folks complained to their lead pastor. 
They came and said the two complaints. One, we think the guy should believe in Jesus before he plays worship music, which you know, <laughs> they said. And then they said, uh, you know, we don't like the optics of him smoking out front, so could you ask him to move to the back? And uh, in this kind of mustard seed moment, Mike Shu, the lead pastor of the church, bought an ashtray, like an ashen trash, and a bench, and put it by the front door of the church in a symbolic move to say, the kid stays. And those three families left the church. This is a small church. It's like a mustard seed church. And I was, you know, I was savvy enough to know, like, they give money and stuff. People come to a church because they see those people, not because they see me. But those people saw me, and they saw a weed. And Mike looked at me, and he saw a seed. And then you know what? I'm just telling you, he's, he, I'm, I am the pastor of the church because the former pastor of this church saw a ragamuffin kid smelling of cigarette smoke and Amigos takeout. And he looked into the chaos of my life and he called out a pastor who now, who now has the privilege and honor of preaching week in and week out, little mustard seed sermons. And I don't know how many people have heard me preach over the years, but sometimes I think those seeds must have grown and their people are all over the world. And what about the people that they touch with their love? The people that I touched with my love. And it's like, you get, it's like the CD. And you meet the guy and you get to the church and somebody sees something in you and they call it out and you become, and it just grows. It grows. I don't know. That's all I got. So anyway, it's just like, we got to tell each other the mustard seed stories because then we get the mustard seed radar. When we tell our stories, then we get to, we we train ourselves to see, oh, that's how God works. That's how people come to Christ. That's what the kingdom looks like. So let's tell our stories. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us and the way your kingdom works and how it's small like a mustard seed, but it doesn't stay that way. It grows. Thank you that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman hid in a lump of dough and it worked through the whole three measures of dough. Everything was touched by it. We all have our mustard seed stories. And there's some of us who are just wondering, is God still there? Is he at work? Has he ever been there for them to have ears to hear and eyes to see? And for the rest of us who are aware that, man, there are these ways, these wild ways that God has been at work in my life. Could we tell those stories so that we can worship you, so that we could see you more clearly, and so we could come alongside the work you're doing in this world? We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen.